welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Just going to continue this evening. Started a message last week for those who weren't here. Just calling it, where is God when it hurts? You may remember, I think it was Saturday's advertiser, it just simply said, had some guys who had been affected by what had been going up in Queensland, it just said, it hurts. And so the question that came to my mind is, where is God when it hurts? Because I'm sure a lot of people think those sort of things. And so we looked at some of the stuff, just a few points about the relationship between God and suffering and judgment and all that sort of stuff. Because some people jump to the conclusion that God is actually you know, involved in judgment when something goes wrong in someone's life. And so we read a few scriptures and we looked at the fact that, yes, there is a sense in which sin and pain or suffering are linked. The fact is we live in a fallen world because of sin. And therefore, pain and suffering is in the world. And we have to just deal with that at one level. But the other side of it is that pain and suffering are not necessarily directly proportional. In other words, bad stuff happens to good people. And good stuff happens to bad people. That's just a reality. You'll read that throughout the Bible. Okay, so it's not necessarily an indicator this person is favoured by God or not favoured by God. In fact, sometimes it seems that those who actually are most favoured by God suffer the most, for whatever reason that is. But we're living in an imperfect world at this time. And then we just looked, finished off by just looking at the fact that God is able to use pain and suffering, ultimately for our good. We don't live in a meaningless world. We live in a world that is here by God's design. And so God is in control ultimately. And while pain and suffering isn't his, um, in a sense, his good, pleasing and perfect will, it's part of his permissible will. He allows it to happen because of what it can produce in our lives. Does that make sense tonight? Okay, so that's, I guess, a very, very brief um, intro of where we were at last week. You know, I was reading just... um, Last night, I think it was, Ashari dragged out some yearbooks from King's when I was teaching there, and so I had a bit of a laugh at some of the people like Drew, I think, was in year eight at the time, and now he's grown into his ears. It's great. But uh, I was just reading some of the year 12 um, comments, and it was amazing how many people, it says, what are your hopes and dreams for the future? And it was amazing how, people, how many people said something like, I want to be happy and successful. I want to be happy and successful. And, you know, I think that's pretty much where much of the world is living at today, particularly in the Western, in, in our society. You know, people just want to be happy. That's essentially what they're aiming for. Their perception is that happiness is good. And then the thing is they take it one step further, and because happiness is good, many people jump to the, a, a wrong conclusion, I believe, in that they then say that, that sadness or pain and suffering is bad. So pleasure and happiness is good, but pain and suffering is bad. Some people take it even further and say, well, if God allows pain and suffering, therefore God also is bad. And the trouble is if you're thinking along those lines, as many in our society today are, what you end up doing with pain, if pain is not good, if pain actually is bad, it's something, therefore, to be avoided or to be minimised. And I think we see in our society today just massive example that that's the way people are thinking. You think about you know, a lot of the, the, the drug problems we have, alcohol problems, it's about pain avoidance. Or minimization. Okay, people are trying to dull their senses to the pain and suffering that they feel for, for a whole bunch of reasons. We see, you know, suicide and euthanasia are very much in the headlines. Because again, people think that I am suffering, suffering is bad. If I end it, it will be good. As JD said this morning, the only problem with that, th- that, um, that uh, equation is 
If, if all we have is a temporary life, and all we are is a, is a body that pumps blood around it, and there's some electrical impulses happening in our brain, and that stops the moment we stop breathing, that's okay. That, that uh, philosophy on life works. But if there is an eternal spirit that lives in our body and, and is released into eternity the moment we stop breathing on this earth, and that there's the possibility beyond that of judgment, and a, you know, suddenly that, that theory on life doesn't seem so good anymore. It doesn't matter how much pain is endured on this planet. If that's the case, we don't want to leave this earth the wrong way. We don't want to leave it in the wrong condition. We don't want to leave it under the wrath of God. So pain and suffering, many people are trying to deaden it. Even outside of that stuff, what about just the massive entertainment industry? You think about you know, the movies that are out there. You think about the games that are out there. You think about the, the massive um, industry that is sport these days. You think about the virtual reality stuff. You, know, you can live your life almost you know, um, uh, vicariously through the internet these days. You can be someone totally different on the internet. You can, you can go on quests and you can be a champion and you can be a hero and never leave your lounge chair. People are escaping reality. People are avoiding the pain of going on a real quest, but they're doing it you know, like this or like this. So there's some very obvious means of pain avoidance out there. And you know, I don't think that's a good thing. But I think the other thing is that some of us don't recognise that we're avoiding pain, don't recognise we have a wrong approach to pain. We, we have perhaps, you know, in the gym that we go to, it says no pain, no gain. And we think, yeah, I'm, I know what it's, what it's about to embrace pain. I work out, I play footy, I do ballet, whatever it might be. I run, I walk, I jump on the treadmill, I ride my bike, I work hard. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that people do and apply that you know, no pain, no gain principle. They work hard and they, there's some suffering involved because they recognise it's something to do. But I, I want to challenge us tonight and ask the question, are we consistent in that? Are we consistently living in that realm? Or is it we recognise the value of pain in some areas and yet we're running from it in other areas? Because I think if we're running from pain in certain areas of our life, ultimately we're going to be diminished. We are not going to mature. We're not going to be the people that God ultimately wants us to be. Just want us to think about this idea for a moment that, that pain is, good, is bad and pleasure is good. You know, there's a condition in the world today, not many people have it across the entire planet. I think there's about 50 recorded instances of it. It's called congenital insensitivity to pain. Now, if pain is the problem and the, you know, Surely the people that cannot experience pain would be the happiest of all. Is that right? Well, this condition called congenital insensitivity to pain means that people cannot feel pain at all. They just cannot sense it. They can put their hand in a fire, they will not feel it. They can, uh, anything they do, basically, that you and I would, would cringe at and get a reaction, they can't do it. You ask the parents of those children what it's like, and it is not heaven on earth, it is a living hell. Little girl called Ashlyn Blocker, I think she's about 10 years old now. Her parents, John and Tara, thought they just had the most wonderful, placid little child because she never cried. The trouble is she never cried when her hand was sticking and burning and all the palm of her hand was, was burnt because she placed on a hot motor one day. When she fell over, her, her, she never cried. She would go to bed at night and she would just chew her lip to the point where her bottom lip was covering her top lip. 
She never cried. She could not feel the pain that she was intended to feel that was a protection mechanism in her life. You know, these little kids, they, they were literally some just, I've sort of seen in front of a little kid just chewed the end off their finger. Just the bone is sticking out of the finger. And the little kid is happy as Larry. Like, they cannot feel it. They do not understand the damage they are doing to their bodies. And obviously, the, the older they get, there's things that they can put in place, mechanisms, but at the end of the day, they, they don't have those normal reactions that, that a, a normal person would have. These people often don't live beyond 25 years of age. The reason being is they might have um, a, a, an appendix say, that, that goes bad on them. They can't feel it. They don't know to get to the doctor. They don't know to get to the hospital. So the things that for you and I, it's just a matter of, I feel sick, I'm going to the doctor, they don't feel. And as a result, they die young. I guess another similar example is leprosy. You've all heard about leprosy. You've, you've probably, even when you were young and stupid like me, told jokes about it. You know, the perception is, when I was young and stupid. The, you know, the whole perception about, and all those stupid jokes about things falling off and stuff like that. That doesn't happen, by the way. People perceive, uh, thought that things happened, you know, that leprosy itself was a disease that just caused things to fall. People thought that for thousands upon thousands of years. Until a Christian man last, year, uh, last century, a guy by the name of Paul Brand, decided to, to research this thing and work out what is it that really goes on in the lives of a person with leprosy. Why do they lose their fingers? Why do they lose their toes? Why do they go blind? Why do they lose their nose? and all the extremities of their body. Why do those things happen? And what he discovered was, it wasn't that disease does anything in terms of actually rotting a person's body away. It doesn't cause bits to fall off. What it does, it affects the nerve endings. And people can no longer feel. So they can't feel what they're touching. They can't feel, if they, if they tread on a nail, they can't feel it. If, they, if they, a, a, a carpenter and they bang their hand with their hammer, they can't feel it. And so they gradually lose sensitivity. And what happens over time is because they can't feel it, they don't care about it. And so, whereas you and I, if we cut ourselves or hurt ourselves, the pain will drive us to do something proactive. In order to, you know, you'd bandage it up, you'd perhaps put some antiseptic cream on it or something, you would stop the, the infection. But what happens is these guys don't worry about the infection because it doesn't hurt. And so gradually their toe or their finger or whatever will just get infected and a little bit of it will rot away. And then a little bit more will rot away and a little bit more will rot away. Another thing he discovered that many, sometimes it seemed to happen really rapidly. They couldn't work it out. You know, these guys, one day they've got fingers, next minute a finger's missing. And that's why people used to think these things fell off. But they never found any fingers. But what Paul Brand discovered through observing was that what happened that while these people with leprosy were asleep, rats would come and chew on their hands. They couldn't feel it. His solution to that, he was an amazing, his solution to that was buy them a cat. It re, seriously, it sounds, sounds so simple. They bought cats for lep, people with leprosy and they did not anymore lose fingers and toes because the cats kept the rats away and so avoided that problem. They would go blind, not because again, leprosy itself causes blindness, because if you or I get in our, something in our eye, what do we do? We blink. They can't feel anything on their eye. They don't blink. They have to remember to blink. And so people were going blind because they, they couldn't blink and their eyelashes would turn inside and just scrape their eyes. 
And so Paul Brand, again, a brilliant man, he was, a, he was an orthopedic surgeon. What he did was he, he, he made a connection um, between their jaw and the eye muscle, muscle that caused them to blink, and he would get in the chew chewing gum. Because he realized that in chewing chewing gum, it would cause their eyes to open and close, and it would just lubricate their eyes. So their eyes just wouldn't be abraded away by their own eyelids. And so pain, for people who want to live without pain, it's a diminished life. It's not an abundant life. God is calling us to an abundant life. And I'm looking at tonight and a little bit last week and continue this next week into how God uses pain. That thing that we don't enjoy, but we need to learn to endure if we're to go on and be healthy and strong people of God. You know, pain and pleasure are, are linked so closely. You know, the very nerves in your body that scream if you tread on a three-corner jack are the same ones that enable you to enjoy a foot massage or that make you laugh if someone got a feather and tickled your foot. So we cannot separate pleasure and pain. You can't have one without the other. You cannot just have a pleasurable life without pain. You might say, well, I'm, I'm sick of hurting my hand. Um, I know what I'll do. I will, I will shove it on a, on, a, on a hot plate and I'll burn off all the nerves. That'll fix it. I will never feel pain again. True. But you'll never feel pleasure again either in that, where those nerves are damaged. And it's not just, the same, it's not just that way physically. It's, relationally, it's the same too. You know, the very things that go on in a relationship that are pleasurable, you know, that, that enable a deep and meaningful relationship are the very things that cause pain. It's those who you love the most that hurt you the most. You know, the whole principle of openness and honesty that can take you to a deeper level relationally and help someone to really understand you and you to really understand them. That's the very stuff that offends us. That's the very stuff that hurts. So we can't link, we can't separate pleasure and pain. We are stuck with it, people. <laughs> and so what I, what I am suggesting tonight is that we should learn how to deal with it. We need to have a framework, as I said last week, we need to have a framework that enables pain to be part of our reality and not, not break us, not overwhelm us with hopelessness, but help us to understand how pain can actually be part of a, a pathway into the future for us. Not to minimise the suffering that people are going through and just you know, theologise about it or theoretic, be theoretical about it, you know, there's, there's tough times that people have to go with and we need to sympathise and all that sort of stuff. But we, we can't just reject all pain. If we do, if we try and put ourselves in a bubble, we'll become, we'll become fragile. We'll become deficient people. You know, you think about, you know, mummy's boys. You know, little boys that grow up into men that have always been protected. They've never been allowed to try anything. You know, they're not, they're not living life to the full. They're diminished in their capacity. Making sense? Cool. So what I want to have a look at then is a, it's just some of the ways that God uses pain in our life. The first way, really, as I've already alluded to, is just protection. Pain is there to tell us that something is not right. Something needs to change. And I think this applies right across the board. I see Maddie, where is Maddie? Maddie Mansa came limping in this morning on crutches. He's in pain. His knee is saying, go easy. Ease up, buddy. I hurt right now. You cannot run around like you normally do. Something is wrong, you need to address it. Let's just imagine that he was, you know, an AFL footballer and he's in the middle of a grand final <laughs> and, you know, it's win at all costs. What's going to happen? They're probably going to inject him full of something that's going to just take the pain away from him. He'll do the rest of the game and his knee will suffer long, long-term consequence because of it. 
Taking the pain away does not sort the problem. It just puts a Band-Aid on it for the short season. Many people want to live their lives with Band-Aids on their life. They don't want to actually fix things. And again, it applies relationally. Relationally, People get upset emotionally. And while there's a place for antidepressants, you know, doctors seem to be handing them out like Band-Aids these days um, because people don't want to feel depressed. Again, pleasure is good. Pain, depression, suffering is bad. We've got to avoid it at all costs. And so rather than find out why I'm depressed, rather than perhaps deal with some of the issues that might be because of our attitudes or our relationships or because of our inability to comprehend what life is all about and all those things, we just take antidepressants rather than find out, does God exist? Or rather than find out, what does my wife really want? Or what does my boss really want? Or whatever. We just blame people and you know, so on and so forth. Again, there's a, there's a time and a place for those things. Not, don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm just saying, if we're always going to rush for the painkiller, if we're going to rush, always rush for the easy option, if we're going to back off rather than press in. I mentioned before about those people that have you know, that motto of no pain, no gain. You might be a tough guy in the gym or you might be you know, a marathon runner or something. You know what it means to live in no pain, no gain. But you're unable to commit to a serious relationship. No pain, no gain in this area of your life. Running scared in this other area of your life. And you're a diminished person because of it. You remain immature in certain areas. You won't experience the pleasures that come as a result of the risks taken in a relationship. And so God is wanting us not to be fearful of pain, not to run away from pain, but to learn to embrace it. And again, we can embrace it in, the, in a framework that includes God. I said last week, outside of God, everything is meaningless. Pain is meaningless. Check out. But if God is in control, our approach can be totally different. Pain tells us, as I said, that something is not right, that it needs to be addressed. Not, not just back, I mean, this, you know, like your natural reaction, if you're taking something off the oven and it's off a stove and it's hot, and you realize it's hot, you pull back. But the idea isn't you just don't just ooh, stay away from the stove. It's like, no, learn to deal with the stove. You know? <laughs> learn what one of those, what's those things, a potholder or something? <laughs> oven mitts, yeah, all that. A very domesticated dream. It's awesome. <laughs> but we're not to just run scared and pull back, but we're to press in and, and just work out how we can make this thing work. My question tonight to us is what am I afraid of? What am I running from? What am I ripping myself off because of a fear of pain? Some people aren't leaving home today because they don't want to embrace the pain of being self-sufficient. Some people aren't getting a job today because they don't want to embrace the pain of going to work day in, day out. Some people aren't studying today because they don't want to embrace the possible pain of failure. As I said before, some people aren't getting involved in relationships or deep relationships. They might have a series of one-night stands or they might have friends with benefits, but they don't want to commit to a person for the rest of their life because of the fear of a pain that that might ultimately bring into their lives. 
And so my question is tonight, what are we afraid of? It might be in a church context. I'm afraid. I'm not getting involved in ministry. Why, the question is. Why? Ultimately, it probably boils down because you're afraid of the pain that might come because you've seen other people get hurt. You've seen other people get misunderstood. You've seen other people working hard. There's a cost. There is a cost involved in ministry. But it's just like anything else in life that's worthwhile. There's a cost. So we just determined to pay the cost. Might be leadership. Might be a promotion at work. You know, people live their lives on the defensive mode, hanging back. Now, I know we're not all like this. Some, of us are, some people are go-getters. Great. I say, if that's the case, let it be so in all areas of life because God wants you to be a well-rounded, fully developed person. Is this making sense? Excellent. Because God, because God loves us, he's going to allow us to experience hurt. He's going to guarantee, in a sense, that we experience hurt. Because ultimately, he wants us to come to our senses. Pain says something is wrong. And like I said, it can be at a relational level. It can be in a physical realm. It can be in a spiritual realm. Ultimately, the fact that we're living in a world where there's pain should cause us to sit up and say, something's wrong. Sometimes, I know I'm pretty competent and I'm head of this company and I'm, you know, I've got three cars in the shed and um, I've got a, three pools in the backyard and I've got a whole bunch of people that really love me and all, all that sort of, you know. Let's just say someone's doing really well. Their life will never be perfect because God is going to insist that there are moments when they feel overwhelmed by it all. He's going to insi- because he loves them, he's going to insist that there are moments when we feel that the task at hand is too big for us. We don't know where to turn. It might come through family tragedy. It might come through personal sickness. It might come through a, a stock market crash or whatever. But there will be times when God will bring pain and suffering into our life in order to wake us up and to keep us off that, just that, out of that place where we're just anesthetized to the peril of our position. Outside of Christ, every one of us is sitting under the judgment and the wrath of God. And we ultimately need to come to here. And the fact that this world is a mess and going downhill fast is supposed to cause us to worry and to wonder and ultimately then to seek God in the midst of that. So that's the first thing. It's for our own protection that God allows pain. The second thing is it's about teaching us things. I mentioned this a little bit last week. But ultimately, God is going to teach us stuff through pain. I mentioned myself from my, my own experience in year 11 when you know, God taught me empathy for others whom I had persecuted through my own persecution. You know, the, way that I, the way I treated people was not right. I didn't really get that until other people treated me the way that I used to treat other people. And suddenly, I understood what it was about. And so often, you know, as much as we might like to think we're nice and we like, might like to think we're able to sympathize and empathize and we learn all the terminology and stuff, and the reality is some stuff you just don't get until you've been there yourself. So God is one of teaching us to, teaching us to be more empathic, to be able to, more, to relate people, to walk in their shoes, to be better people as a result of suffering. He's wanting to teach us things like appreciation. I remember um, a few years ago I had a kidney stone. Now there's lots of little things in life that you don't necessarily appreciate <laughs> until you get a kidney stone. <laughs> Just the basics of going to the toilet, number one or number two. Mate, that, that is just something that every one of us does every day, doesn't think twice about. When you've got a kidney stone, everything changes. <laughs> It's just, you just don't know where the pain's coming from. It, it's like, I mean, now, t- Kevin, t- some of you would know um, Kevin Booth. 
He's a man who just lives with kidney stones all the time. His sister also has them, and she reckons, now I don't know if this is true or not, and I feel a little bit hesitant to say this, but she reckons that when she's had kidney stones, it was on a par of having a baby. Now, I don't claim that I know what it's like to have a baby, ladies. I you know, only had it for a couple of days. Didn't go through the whole nine-month thing. But what I'm saying is just the pain and the, just the all-consuming, like you, just, you couldn't even pinpoint where it was coming from. And like I said, and you couldn't work out, you kind of felt I needed to go, but you couldn't, and it's just like, it was ugly. And then you feel like you're going to spew, and it's just like, all these things are coming at you at once. It's just like crazy. But let me tell you, when that thing had gone, and the next time you just go to the toilet, and you feel like you want to go to the toilet, and you can go, man, there is worship in the house. <laughs> I, I can tell you what. Seriously. <laughs> it's true. You know, the Jews actually have a prayer, just thanking God for the privilege of going to the toilet. And, and that might seem really stupid and superficial, unless you've had bowel cancer perhaps or a kidney stone, and then suddenly it's just like that makes total sense. And so often there are things in our life that we don't appreciate. Maybe, you know, someone gets sick and, you, and unable to just be there like they normally would be. Or maybe it's like, you know, suddenly like our finances are cut off for a period and we just... You know, one minute we're whinging about how much we don't get paid enough. And next minute, you know, when there's a financial crisis and maybe we lose our job, suddenly we're just glad to have anything. And so God will teach us appreciation because most of us, most of the time, live just far too, with far too much unappreciation for all the goodness that he brings into our lives. Another thing God teaches is Wisdom. Wisdom. You know, you do something... It comes back to bite you. We're supposed to learn from that. We're supposed to get wisdom. We're supposed to gain understanding. You know, you smack your finger with a hammer. You learn to be a little bit more careful next time. You mess up a relationship. It really, you know, messes with you emotionally. The idea is do something different next time. Don't just conduct a relationship the same way as the last one that ended in disaster. Make some changes. We're supposed to learn. And this book here, this Bible is an awesome manual on life. There is so much in here that is not readily apparent to the human mind. But as we read through the pages, we begin to discover that God has some answers to some of the things that we have no answers for. He has some solutions. He has some sense when things make no sense. And so I would encourage every person in this room to, yes, by all means, respond and learn the lessons from from life, but also couple that with what's in here. Because sometimes you just don't get why um, the relationships aren't working. You know, the Bible says, for example, an, an, an offended brother is more unyielding than a walled city. So let's just say you're an offensive person. There's a good chance all your relationships are going to be really bad. And it doesn't matter how right you are. If you're just out there tramping on people with your rightness, you're going to be offending people left, right, and center. And you're going to find very soon that your friendship circle is decreasing. Whereas if we go back to the Word of God and we learn a little bit about humility and grace and tenderness and these things, which the Word of God sort of is pushing us into, suddenly our friendship circle can be growing and increasing and our marriage can become far more fulfilling and our parenting can be more fruitful and so on and so forth. So God is wanting us to learn stuff from the pain that comes our way. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5 says, We also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that it produces perseverance, character, and hope. 
And these things won't disappoint. And so again, we're putting it, you know, I'm, talking, I'm trying to build a framework. You know, hanging suffering in a place where it actually makes some sense. It makes no sense outside of God, but when we put it in the context of a loving God who's allowing us to go through these things because he has an end in mind. He's trying to produce something and create something in us. It makes sense. We can endure it. We might not like it, but we can endure it. We're not called to enjoy pain and suffering as masochists. But we are called to understand there's a purpose behind. For the joy set before us, or for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. And this is what God is calling us to do. To recognize, yes, this sucks. Yes, I hate it. I can't wait to get through the other side. But man, there's going to be something good on the other side. That enables Christians to do life differently than those who are just thinking, man, my life is so hard. It's, It's so tough. Stuff never goes right for me. When's it ever going to end? There's no hope in that. And many people live there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Let's go there. Can't hear any pages rustling at all. Hmm. <laughs> Must be because everyone's got iPads. Is that right, Drew? Gray? Verse 7, it says this, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what father is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone other goes disciplined, you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines for our good. So our dads, you know, assuming they're around, did their best. But God does what is good. And so he has not, in his wisdom, said, I'm going to protect you guys and cotton wool you. He said, no, I'm going to allow stuff to come into your life. And even if it's not directly from my hand as judgment or punishment, just treat it as discipline. Just accept it and recognize something good is going to be the result of what's coming into your life. Just on that, just a little aside, I think that being the case, as parents and as friends, we need to be really, really careful of rescuing people from some of the hardships that they're enduring. Because they are there by God's will and design. They are smack bang in the center of God's will for their life because God's wanting to bring them to their senses. He's wanting to help them grow and mature. And sometimes us goody two-shoes little Christians come along and want to remove all the pain and suffering from their life and take it onto ourselves. And God's saying, that's not good. <laughs> they need to experience that. They need to come to their senses. And so, yes, we are there for the hurting, for the broken, those that can't help themselves. But some people can help themselves are choosing not to. And if we perpetuate that and just allow people to, to live of us like leeches and suck us dry and they're not growing, God is saying, no, let them go. You know, the story of the prodigal son is all about that. He had to get to the bottom before he could look up again. And so there are people, you know, Christian, non-Christian, family, friends, whoever, we need wisdom. We need to be praying to God and say, God, how do I respond to this? It seems like need on the surface. But what's going to happen? If I give my money, is it really going to help the person? Or is it going to keep them going a little bit longer in their stupidity? Is it, you know, we should have open houses and that, that mentality that I'm here to help. But God, does this person need to come to my house? Or am I just going to lengthen your processes, your righteous processes in their life? Do they need to do it tough a little bit longer? We're thinking about. 
The last thing is just testing. You know, God is, one of the things that suffering does, it tests us. And the good thing about God's test is they're not to prove us wrong. They're not to fail us. They're just to prove to us, to God and to the devil that we are God's. You know, the devil came to Job, sorry, the devil came to God and spoke about Job. And he said to God, God, Job essentially is just a gold digger. He only, he only loves you because of what you can do for him. And God says, well, I don't believe that for a moment. But if you want to just test that theory, go for it. And so the long and short of it is that every, the wheels fall off in every area of Job's life. I mean, suffering beyond what you or I could ever imagine in his life. Death of family members, financial ruin, body just covered in sores and scabs. He says, though he's slain me, yet will I praise the Lord. The devil tried to, just, tried to undermine Job's credibility, his, his character, and, and God knew already who Job was his. But man, it showed the devil something. And so God will sometimes test us, even to just prove to ourselves that we'll be faithful. Because when you're living smack bang in the center of God's blessing, you can question yourself, am I really, am I really serving God? Or have I just got so many good friends in the church, so that's why I want to be there? Or, you know, God's been so good to me, would I serve him if it was... T- Sometimes just allow stuff to come into our life just to prove to us and to God and to the devil and everyone around that yes, we would serve God anyway. He's proving our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1. Quickly turn there. Verses 6 to 7. He's talking about God's power and salvation. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, you may have, to have, uh, may have to suffer grief in every kind of trial. But these have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise. Now, I don't know about you, but I think there's something awesome. I know Drew, uh, Drew spoke on, on Friday night here to the youth, and he spoke about you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And it was while they were in the fire that those looking on saw that there was someone else with them. And so in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their suffering, Jesus was right there in the smack bang in the middle with them. And I think God sometimes allows the people that he loves to go through stuff so that can, people can see that God is real in our lives. Because sometimes, you know, all things being equal, you be a Christian, your life is going to improve. Not the prosperity gospel I'm talking about, I'm just talking about all things being equal. You know, you start to be more friendly because of God's at work in you and you're not such an arrogant, you know, big-headed so-and-so. And you begin to be a little bit more humble, a bit more friendly, work a little bit harder. All things being equal, life is going to go well for you. And you possibly will have two cars and a pool in the back, whatever you might have. You know, you own your own house, um, get a degree, be successful in business or whatever it might be. There's a good chance if you're a believer and applying God's word in your life that those things are going to happen. The trouble is sometimes the world sees that and thinks, well, it's all right for you because you've got all that stuff. And they mistake the source of our joy for the stuff rather than God. And so sometimes what God does in front of non-believers, he strips away our stuff. And when they see us standing there still praising him, still giving him worship, still giving, when, our, when our demeanor doesn't change, it says something to people. I mean, Sally Ann last year, um, was given the news that she had breast cancer. Now, I can honestly say that we didn't stress about it. We took one day as it come. We refused not to dwell on what could happen. I mean, it's, it could have been pretty scary. 
if I'd allowed some of the thoughts that, that tried to take root in my mind, five kids on my own, etc., etc. But God was God. And I, I almost felt guilty for not feeling stressed. Like, I'm thinking, God, you know I love this woman. It seems like I don't because I don't feel, you know. And Sally Ann was the same. She just carried on. But it was in that, I think in that moment, for those that look on, hopefully it said something. That it's not just because you've got five lovely kids and a house and you know, all that sort of stuff. It's not all right for us. It's, but God can be seen sometimes through our tough times. So God allows this stuff to happen. So in finishing, you know, pain is a very real part of our world. We cannot escape it. I think as Christians we do well to understand it. Try and understand it. Try and understand some of what God is trying to achieve through it. We can't avoid it. But in the midst of it, let's be an example. In the midst of it, let's look to God. In the midst of it, let's allow God to work his processes. Let's become stronger people through it. You go to the gym and you know, put yourself through a bit of pain, you're going to get stronger. Yeah. If you embrace the pain in life that it brings, whether it's relational, emotional, whatever it might be, we're going to get stronger through it. Let's not ignore it and just go on beating our head against a brick wall and become calloused and, and feelingless. You know, some people do that too. They don't learn the lessons. And, you know, if you can think of some, you know, gnarled, poor le- person with leprosy who's just become a mass of scabs and calluses because of the, the way they've lived their life. Some people are like that. They don't look like it, but emotionally they're like it. They've just got hurt. They build a wall, they've got hurt. They build a wall, they've got hurt. They build a wall, they've got hurt. They build a wall, they don't learn the lessons. They're supposed to go back to the Creator and say, God, what am I doing wrong here? And so they become feelingless and they become diminished. And they become emotionally fragile. And they become very hard to befriend and very hard to love because they just don't get it. They're always suspicious. God wants us to grow and to be mature and well-rounded people. And I think, you know, if we can take on board some of this stuff, I think we can do that. It doesn't matter how life, how, how, what life dishes up. God can work in us and through us. And ultimately in doing that, he can provide hope for those who have no hope. Because like I said, outside of Christ, I don't know how people do it outside of God, really. Honestly, don't. Without God, we're without hope in the world. And so people might not have the direct understanding of who God is and they've never read the Bible and stuff, but the reality is if, we're in our, if we in our lives are living letters to them, if we are, by the way that we live and the way we respond to pain and the way we embrace it, and the way we grow through it, and the way we maintain our joy. I don't know about you, but if I didn't know God, I would start to think whether he's real or not. I'd start to ask questions. I might even go to church. So let's not be like everyone else. Let's not pump ourselves full of drugs. Let's not, let's not drink ourselves stupid. And they're the obvious things. Most Christians don't do those things. But maybe we're burying ourselves in entertainment. Maybe we're pulling back out and, and living just a shallow existence in terms of relationships and stuff. But let's, let's risk. Let's go for it. Let's allow God to demonstrate his glory and his goodness through us. Can I pray for you guys? Father, I just want to pray for each of us here. I thank you that by your grace... We're all probably doing okay. At least in some levels of our life. 
But I pray, Lord God, our strengths will not be our undoing. For those that perceive themselves as being strong and their strength is hiding weakness, Lord, I pray to be exposed tonight in Jesus' name. Because you don't just want us to be strong physically. You want us to be strong and robust relationally. You want us, Lord God, to be able to embrace challenges and pain and grow through them. You want us to be mature and not fragile and immature. So God, I pray tonight that your word would go deep, that it would resonate, Lord God, not just now, but throughout this week. That whenever the challenge comes, whenever some suffering comes, whenever something happens we don't like, whenever we're tempted not to talk to our husband or our wife for fear of how they'll respond, God, I pray that we would just get strong in the knowledge that if there's a bit of pain, you can use it for good. Help us, Lord, I pray. Help us, Lord, to grow and become more like you. We have an amazing example in Jesus. We have a multitude of examples in the church that has gone before us that didn't shirk back or shrink back from the possibility of persecution, the possibility of suffering, the possibility of pain. Lord, whether it was because they declared your name or whether it was just because they got sick or because they were in the midst of a financial crash or whatever, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do well in this area. May we not be like the world and always be trying to just avoid pain and embrace pleasure. Help us, God, I pray, to be lights in this dark world. The reality is, Lord God, because you love us, things are going to get worse before they get better because you're trying to bring people to their senses. And I pray that the distinction between us and those who do not know you would be an ever-increasing one, that there'd be a greater level of clarity between what it is to be a Christian and what it is to not be a Christian. God, where we're sitting on the fence, help us to get off the fence in Jesus' name. Lord, where we're holding back on you when you're challenging us to, to get involved somewhere, somehow in ministry, where you're challenging us to talk to our family or our friends or our workmates about their need for you, or even just to invite them to church and we're holding back for fear of the pain of rejection. God, in Jesus' name, break it over our lives, I pray. Break it over our lives, God. God, may we not succumb anymore and acquiesce to the intimidation of the possibility of pain, but God, may something indignant rise up in us. May we recognize, Lord God, that you're wanting to do something in us. May we be able to say, look, for the joy set before us, we're going to embrace it. And like Paul said, Lord God, that these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Have your way, Lord. Have your way in our lives. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.